Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today, we are focusing forward. We are focusing on the future and exploring dynamic pathways of industry and technology for an abundant and joyful tomorrow. But before we move forward, I think it's always important to have a modern reference point um, about what we're speaking. And with me today is a very, very interesting man. Al Stephen Seiden has been a student of an advocate for Dr. R. Buckminster Fuller since 1981, when Stephen spent three months on a beach studying critical path. He worked on Fuller's Integrity Days, the last series of public appearances Fuller made. And when Fuller died in July of 1983, Stephen began working with the Buckminster Fuller Institute to produce events using a portion of Fuller's vast recorded archive. He also began, in, began learning more about Fuller's life and ideas, and his research led to the 1988 biography, Buckminster Fuller's Universe. His latest Buckminster Fuller book is A Fuller View, Buckminster Fuller's Vision of Hope and Abundance for All, published by Divine Arts. And he's working on a third volume, A Fuller Way, Buckminster Fuller's Life-Affirming Path to Success. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. This is great. Talk, talk about Buckminster Fuller's 56-year personal experiment. Well, in 1927, Bucky was, as Bucky was what he preferred to be called, by the way. I don't, it's not a, some people say, how can we call him Bucky? And that's what he asked everybody to call him. He was, he was uh, a, a loser. Basically, he uh, had lost all his money, his friends' money, his family's money. He was an alcoholic. He, his, his four-year-old daughter had died in his arms, and he felt responsible for it. A lot of things. And he was walking along the shores of Lake Michigan, uh, in Chicago in 1927, and it was basically like the scene in, in It's a Wonderful Life. He had a 
life insurance policy from the Navy and he was going to swim out and kill himself because he figured he was worth more to uh, the unit, worth, worth more dead than alive. And what he wound up doing is instead, he found himself walking in a sphere of white light two feet off the ground, and a voice said to him, you do not have the right to kill yourself, you do not belong to yourself, you belong to the universe, and furthermore you, and this is like my little parentheses, may be a link in a chain of evolution that you don't have a right to break. And we all, we're all that. I mean, we're all those links. And so then, like all spiritual beings who have these kind of experiences, which I've never had, um, that voice never tells you what to do. So he went quiet for approximately two years. He only spoke to his wife and daughter. He studied, he meditated, and he said, well, the only thing I have is myself. I have no money. I have no anything. So I will do an experiment. I'll use myself as guinea pig B, as he calls himself, and I will go basically experiential. I will, if, if I experience it and I find it to be true, it'll be, I'll use it, and if I don't, I won't. And the 56 year, and the let, so the experiment lasted from 1927 to 1983 when he died. And at the end of the experiment, and the experiment was to determine and document what one individual could achieve that could not be accomplished by any organization, religion, government, corporation, no matter how large or powerful. And what he said is, well, as a little individual, the one thing that I can do that no corporation, government, or any other organization can do, I can think and I can take action. No corporation has ever done that. No government has ever done that. It's always individual beings, individual people. And at the end of the experiment, I mean, he had published 40-some books. He traveled around the world dozens of times, which we don't think is a big deal now, but just, we're talking about the 50s and the 60s and the 70s when traveling around the world. He was given giving about 200 lectures a year, even when he was 87 years old. Um, and in the 50s, he was making a quarter of a million dollars a year, um, which is given part of his discipline in 1927 was he said, I won't work for a living anymore because that doesn't work. Working for money, doing something that you don't want to do for money does not work. So I will only do things that I see need to be done. And I know that as part of nature, I will be supported. And, you know, he made a lot of money and spent a lot of money um, on his next project. But he was very successful, and he was very well-known, and he came close to winning the Nobel Peace Prize. He was nominated several times. Interesting. I didn't know that about the Nobel Peace Prize, but I wanted to give our listeners kind of a, a, an idea of the types of work that Bucky Fuller did, because he was really a Renaissance man, um, and certainly a, a, a futurist. He uh, was a systems theorist, an author, a designer, an inventor, and I'm sure you can elaborate more in some of the terms that he's coined. Well, yeah, and he was he was he was also a poet, and he called himself a comprehensive anticipatory design scientist. I mean, what people <laughs> wanted to label, you know, which is basically what we were all born as. You know, he is, you know, you look at a three-year-old; they're, compre- they're comprehensive. They're they want they're interested in everything. You know, they uh, anticipatory. They're looking at what the future is, and they're designing things. They're trying to put things together, and that's what he was always doing. Um, but one of the quotes that he had is that, you know, the basic, the essential part of it is the, the larger a population I work to support, the greater, the, re- the better the results. And, um, what Bucky did, I mean, I know most people know Bucky Fuller is the guy who invented the geodesic dome. 
you know, and that piece, the dome guy. And the, even when his picture was on the cover of Time magazine, they took a, the picture, had him, you know, his head as a dome. Um, but to me, the greatest artifact Buckminster Fuller ever created was his life. And the fact that he documented it and the fact that it's all in Stanford Library. He is the, it's the largest, largest documentation of any human being ever on the planet other than government officials who are doing it on, you know, for, you know, had somebody else doing it for him. He, he kept this archive and it's got things like parking tickets and speeding tickets and letters to people and every time he ever spoke. So there's this huge documentation of what one, one average individual's life is like and the artifact is how you know the artifact of his life is how to be a global citizen which now we're a lot of us are looking at how can we be a contributing global citizen and um bucky created the template for it and more important um he saw in 1933 that something unusual was happening because he did this crazy thing which was to uh, inventory all the all the planet's resources. And you think, oh, that's no big deal. Well, this is, I'm talking 1933. Not only didn't he have a computer, he didn't have a calculator. But he worked for time. He was working with Fortune magazine in Phelps Dodge, and he had access to a lot of data. And he saw that when things came around again, what we now call recycling, um, we added something to them. And the thing we added was knowledge, and that by adding knowledge, we could do more with less. And he said, well, eventually we'll be doing so much more with so much less. We'll be more with lessing so much that, in fact, there will be enough to go around, enough to feed everybody, enough to take care of everybody. And he said, I'm going to figure out when that's going to be. And he figured out, you know, we think it will be sometime in the future. Well, he figured out it was 1976. This is in the 30s he figured this out. And he wasn't wow. telling people this. And we now know that around 1976, there became enough food on the planet to feed everybody. We, and there is right now. That's like a given. And pretty much, you know, you can look it up anywhere. There's enough food to feed everybody. Yet approximately 50,000 people will die of starvation today and tomorrow and the next day. And the thing about it is, is not only is there enough food, there's enough of everything. The yes. problem is. The problem. This is this is my sound the soundbite for people who like soundbite. You know, it's like this is the problem is that we have to shift shift our resources and our focus from weaponry to livingry. We have to stop trying to kill each other, basically, because there's and if there's enough to go around, killing each other makes no sense. I mean, what are you fighting? We're not fighting. There's plenty to go around if we would just stop trying to you know shift it from weaponry to livingry. Yeah. So love that's, that. That's that's the tweetable. Right to yeah, move from a, yeah, weaponry to living room. That's a that you is know. a great statement. Talk a little bit about some of the qu- phrases that Bucky coined, such as spaceship Earth. This well, is one that we often hear about. Earth, yeah. Um, the more important one I that I is uh, well, he didn't coin these terms, but synergy and trim tab he brought into popular use. I mean we. He used to lecture in the 50s and 60s, and he'd go you know, lecture at colleges and stuff where they were, you know, distinguished professors, and he'd say, how many people have ever heard of the word synergy? And, like, out of, like, 1% or 2%, maybe. Nobody had ever heard of it. And and if you look back, you go, oh, that word wasn't there. Well, it was. It's a, it's a term from chemistry. Most people don't know what it means. Uh, most people think it's, like, we get a group of people into a room and we think about things and we come up with this great ideas like fairy dust comes down and we make lots of money or we do whatever. And if that's not what it is at all, you know, synergy is, 
is behavior of whole systems that cannot be predicted by looking at the parts separately. So, you know, and it's not, it's not good or bad. It's not positive or negative, like gravity or karma. It's not good and or yet bad. we tend to think of synergy actually as positive. But it, it right. is neutral, neutral, is what you're saying. Well, it is, yeah. It's the coming it's, together of these I, parts that create something else. Right. And I'll give you an example, a very good example of what I would define as negative synergy. So you take a, very, a bunch of really smart, well-intentioned people who have lots of experience in their field and whatever, and you send them to Washington, D.C. <laughs> you know what? Stephen, hold that thought. We're going to need to go to a break. We're going to need to actually address Spaceship Earth with a commercial. So let's take ourselves there gracefully. When we come back, we will start at that very point because I think it's a fantastic place to begin. Um, To learn more about Stephen Seiden's work, please visit www.buckyfullernow.com. On Facebook, Stephen Seiden. And also on Twitter, that handle is at Bucky Fuller now. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction and integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we're talking about futurism. We're actually talking about the work and life of Bucky Fuller, Buckminster Fuller, and with me is Stephen Seiden, who is who is his biographer, as well as his more recent book entitled A Fuller View, Buckminster Fuller's Vision of Hope and Abundance for All. So, Stephen, just before the break, you took us into a territory of futurism that could be scary, 
And I think we should just go right back in there and jump in. And that is going to Washington, the political arena. Yeah, the political arena. Well, Bucky, I, I have this video that very few people have seen, in the inter- and it was in 1983, right before he died, and the interviewer goes, so do you vote? He goes, of course not. I'm, polit- I'm completely apolitical. I don't vote. And um, that's a discipline I've taken on, too. I don't vote for people. I will vote for stuff, but I won't vote for people. Because, as Bucky said, politics is obsolete. Politicians are obsolete. Uh, there's a quote that it goes, you know, talks about, business rules, this and that, and, it, and politics is at the tail of the dog. And, 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 <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, if you just look at it from a common sense point of view, I mean, I don't have a television, but if I had a television, and I can vote on where I can vote on who's going to win Dancing with the Stars or American Idol or whatever they're voting on these days, why can't I, you, me, each of us, we the people, vote are we going to build another $2 million bomber or are we going to pay our teachers more? Because it's our money, you know, and we don't need people. We don't need to send people to somewhere to be our representatives and all that. We have the technology. And Bucky talked about this 50, 60, 70 years ago, that the technology would exist. I mean, he, most of the things that he talked about did not have the technology but he said the t- technology will come. I mean, he, he predicted computers, and he predicted the Internet. He predicted all these things. He didn't have the exact specification, but he said this is what's going to happen. And the technology is there. I mean, we could actually have a real democratic system. And, yes, we would need good administrators to administer the will of we the people, but we don't need to be voting. And people, people think, you know, people, people ask me, it's like, do you vote? And I go, no, I don't. I don't vote for people. I will vote on issues because we have in Washington here, we have a lot of ballot initiatives. I will sometimes vote on them, but, you know, it's just such an obsolete system, you know, and we don't need it anymore. Um, and, and, and it's actually driving us into to the brink of disaster, as we can see. And personally, if my this is not Bucky idea. This is my idea. I would love at the bottom of every ballot that had people on it. There was a box that said none of the above. And if none of the above won, then we would just do it over again and none of the above could run. And then we get down to somebody like me who doesn't want the job or, you know, or a people, you know, people who would do it for the service but not don't want to become politicians. And they could do things if we had to have people. But what we really need is good administrators. And that appears to be our challenge. You know, if you look at the candidates who are running, and this, is, this isn't a political show, but it's just very interesting, the commentary of the, the personality types, that them, they're figureheads, some of uh, better uh, preparedness than others, but they really don't know the nuts and bolts of running uh, an administration. No, none, nobody, you know, no. We need good administrators. To, and like I said, we can... We could vote tomorrow on how we wanted to do you know, it's not all that complicated. You know, people get online, people have smartphones, and people who don't, we set up a place where they can, and it's like, it's not that complicated. But that would take away the power of the few people who like the power and like, you know, to be in front of the camera and like to make statements and and it would make us a real democracy, which is what Bucky was. Bucky was, was an advocate for autonomous human beings. The things that he did, I mean, when he invented the Dymaxion House, which is 
it was designed to be an autonomous building living unit that you could literally have picked up and hauled anywhere you wanted in the world. Um, and uh, when he invented the Dymaxion car, which was actually called the Dymaxion vehicle because it was designed to, you know, eventually when they invent, he said when they invent jets, it's gonna, I'm gonna put jets on it and it's gonna, it'll go up and you can go over like the hover, hover jet thing, you know, that thing. Oh, a hover, hoverboard. Uh, no, not a hoverboard. A, ho- a hover, the hover jet. So the uh, it's a British jet that has the jets push downward and then it goes straight up and then it, it goes sideways and it goes forward. Uh, it's, but yeah, so he he was always looking way ahead of the times and 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 knowing that human beings are designed to be autonomous and not hooked up to wires and 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 cables and things that we have to pay for. I mean, he he wanted us all to be basically free human beings to do whatever we want. And that's the, that's the cool thing about, I mean, the ultimate thing about that there's enough to go around, which is kind of freaks people out when I say this. I mean, Bucky said quite clearly in the thir- in the, in the seventies, he said there, there's enough resources on the planet that every single person can live at a higher standard of living than any person lives right now. And this is true today too. I mean, and people go, well, wait a minute. So I could live at a, higher standard of living than Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. And I was like, yeah, because all you have to do is look at history. You know, 25 years ago, this thing that I'm talking to you on called a smartphone didn't exist. Bill Gates didn't have one. Nobody had one. You know, so if we took all our resources and focused them on living, imagine what we could do for people. You know, imagine that we can't, we can't even imagine what possibilities would exist if we were focused on living, living. Plus, the coolest part about it is, that in that world, nobody has to do anything they don't want to do to make money. You don't have to work for a living anymore. It's that's over. That game is over because there's if there's enough to go around. What do you care? What do I care if you have a million dollars and have what you want? If I have what I want, what do I care? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And and then people, the next step about it is that if you look at people who come into a windfall, they win the lottery or something. What happens to them? Well, they, they do buy a house or travel or do whatever they do. But then they go, well, now what am I going to do with, life in the, with my life? And the ones that are successful are the ones who go, oh, I'm going to see what my talent is and contribute it to other people, which is what we were all put here to do, you know, um, find our talent and contribute it to other people. And Bucky was really quite clear about that. I mean, he actually, when he defined why humans are on Earth, he was like, we're here as local information gatherers and problem solvers in support of a, a eternally sustainable universe, you know. And 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 if we think we're the only ones in the universe doing that, we're crazy because that's not how the system is designed. The universe is designed with backups. That's why we have anything that's really important has a backup. Like we have two eyes, not one. We have two ears. There's a reason because these are important things. So the universe says, okay. Nature says this is how we're going to design it. We're going to design it with two, and and the whole design thing. I mean, people look at Bucky and they talk about design science and all that stuff, which is great. But the bottom line of design's really good design is it mirrors nature. Anything that mirrors nature is going to be sustainable and work. Anything that doesn't is not. Well, you know, in terms of um, um, the work of Buckminster Fuller's role as a futurist, I mean, we're really talking about humanism, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, its place for when you when one thinks of the word futurist today, 
it usually is based on, you know, technology. It's usually based on something that is man-made or man-created. But yet the need for futurism to be looked at from this humani- this humanistic angle is exceedingly important so we don't wipe ourselves out. Right. And, and Bucky, see, pe- people always go to the inventions and the physical stuff. And Bucky used to tell, you know, when he would really tell people about what he was really doing, he's like, I'm not inventing things to invent things or make money. I'm inventing things to find out the generalized principles in the universe, what works, how nature does things, so that I can mirror them. Uh, and, you know, I'm a practicing Buddhist, and I've been so for about 15 years, and I'm like, every time I go, the Buddha says, somebody says, the Buddha said this, and I go, well, so did Buckminster Fuller. You know, this is pretty interesting. Um, and he was exploring inner technology as much as he was exploring outer technology, but that didn't get, inner technology doesn't get much press back then, just like it doesn't now. I mean, uh, he, when he was, when his daughter, his first daughter was three years old, he, he became clearly convinced that telepathy was as real as anything else. And when people, when people saw him, you know, when people saw him in person, I don't know if you ever saw him in person. But if you go see the play, Ron does the same thing at the beginning. He would, he would get up in front of the room and he would stand there with his arms out and he would just stand there and take in the audience. And he was doing this with his eyes. And he was actually, what we would say, picking up the vibe, hearing what had to be, you know, he was actually getting what needed to be said. And then he would sit down and his, his discipline was that he would never think about what he was going to say before he said it. So. If you went to a Buckminster Fuller lecture like I did one time, and it was supposed to be an hour and a half, and there were 5,000 people sitting there waiting, and the little old man comes out, and he he stands there for a while, and he sits down, <laughs> he sits down in a chair, and he starts talking, and it was scheduled for an hour and a half, and six hours later, they stopped him. And the only reason they stopped him was because they were closing the building. You know? And <laughs> there was about two-thirds of us were still there, and... You know, over the years, I've heard the same comment that I said several years after that. That was the most amazing thing that I've experienced. You know, changed my life forever. I have no idea what he said because the content was so deep. You know, he would just go on. I mean, he would start when humans appeared on Earth, and he would get us to here and then tell us where we what we needed to do to get to to, sur- to survive and thrive. I love what you just said about um, inner technology because, you know, part of the mission of this show really is to tap into that inner technology, you know, which I also interpret as social intelligence, emotional intelligence, intuition, presence, you know, being able to, you know, show up for life are all the soft, the softer sides. Yeah. It's just why, it's just why people throw People showed up wherever he was, especially people who were younger. You know, when he was in his 70s, his audiences were in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, there's a really cool video of him in San Francisco at what they called Hippie Hill. And here's Bucky, and he always wore a suit and tie and a vest, a suit, tie, and a vest for a particular reason. You know, is that, and, and there's all these hippies around him. And he's talking to them, and he's, and he's, you know, tell, he's just telling them, and they're going, yeah, man, that's so cool, you know. <laughs> uh, and 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 because he he you know this whole idea of a comprehensivist or compre- which is a short version of comprehensive anticipatory design scientist, 
I mean, he was interested in everything, including inner and outer technology. I mean, uh, he wanted the same thing the Buddha wanted. He wanted, and he was very awake, and he was he was one of those people that people wanted to just be, you could just be in his presence, and you got it, you know, without having, he didn't have to say a word, but he always, he loved to talk, so he always would, you know, elucidate on everything forever. If someone was interested, if no one was interested, he would he wouldn't talk. He was also very eccentric that way. There was a story that there was Stephen. I'm sorry. Stuff. I'm going to need to cut you off. We are out of time, and I uh, apologize because the 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 stories you tell are so wonderful, and what you have to share is 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 fabulous. But we got to go, so okay. we'll have to come back. And I want to give our listeners um, your contact information to learn more about the work of L. Stephen Seiden and his books. Buckminster Fuller's Universe, A Fuller View, Buckminster Fuller's Vision of Hope and Abundance for All, as well as the third book that's on its way, A Fuller Way, Buckminster Fuller's Life-Affirming Path to Success. Please visit www.bookbuckyfullernow. Once again, that's www.bookyfullernow. On Twitter, that handle is at Bucky Fuller Now, and on Facebook, Stephen Seiden. We are going to dance off to a break and we'll be right back. Here come the tunes. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at HarvestingHappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user-friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's HarvestingHappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit at hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we're talking about the future. The future being now, what's coming next, and we're going to have an interesting conversation with one of the most um, well-known modern futurists. His name is Thomas Fry. He's a senior futurist at Da Vinci Institute and Google's top-rated futurist speaker. Unlike most speakers, Thomas works closely with his board of visionaries to develop original research studies. This enables him to speak on unusual topics and translate trends into unique business opportunities. Mr. Fry continually pushes the envelope of understanding, creating fascinating images of the world to come. His keynote talks on futurist topics have captivated people ranging from high-level government officials to executives in Fortune 500 companies including NASA, IBM, AT&T, Hewlett-Packard, Lucent Technologies, Boeing, and on and on and on. Welcome, Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a great pleasure. And, and, I, and I think this is such a meaty topic, um, relating futurism to the concept of personal well-being. And we know that Buckminster Fuller uh, was very interested in this. But I'm wondering how it plays in the contemporary futurist view and what's trending. Well, certainly the, the rise of the censor movement, if you will, is, is changing lots of things. Um, so a couple of years ago, the um, Fairchild Semiconductor held an event in San Francisco called the Trillion Sensor Summit. And they were charged with trying to figure out a roadmap to how long it would be before we reach a trillion sensors in the world. And <clears throat> they concluded that we will reach a trillion sensors sometime between 2022, 2024, and that by 2036, we'll have 100 trillion sensors in the world. Now, what this means is that <clears throat> the sensors are becoming very very, uh, very ubiquitous, very tiny, very easy to mass produce, very inexpensive. And, uh, and, and so these are sense when I talk about sensors, uh, sensors for light, for heat, for humidity, for, um, uh, detecting moisture, chemical composition, all of these different things. And we're going to start embedding sensors in our lives and all kinds of new ways. Um, so if you think about embedding sensors into paints that we paint onto houses, put on the sides of cars, on the sides of bridges, we put in sensors into our clothing. Um, so then we have, uh, we can very accurately measure kind of all the inputs and outputs of the human body. Uh, we'll be able to very accurately measure the 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 quality of air we're breathing, the quality of water we're drinking, the the chemical composition of sweat coming off of our arms. So when we look at a plate of food, we can we can tell what effect that food is going to have on us before we eat it. Um, and so that's going to transition our lives in lots of different ways. How does that translate, or are you defining artificial intelligence? That'll be part of it. Um, that's the information gathering side of artificial intelligence. Uh, the processing side of it, that's, um, that opens the door for lots of other areas as well. This past summer, um, there was a robot that was unveiled that is called Pepper, the emotional robot. And that, uh, talk a little bit about how the concepts you're speaking of apply to Pepper and Pepper's future 
that could impact us all? There's, there's part of the scientific world that wonders why do we need emotion? Um, why do we, uh, why do we have such fallibility in humans and, um, why is that valuable in any way? Because when we can, we can develop car systems, driverless cars where we don't have accidents. We can, we can develop planes that fly across the world that don't, uh, uh, don't have to worry about running into uh, storms or possible crashing anywhere. And, um, and, and so, this artificial intelligence, uh, the emotions, though, are what gives us, uh, what creates value. So we we place different values on things that we look at, and it's an emotional context that that's put into. Um, so it's uh, um, so part of being a futurist is also being a philosopher, and so a lot of this is uh, soft science stuff, but we're. We're adding the hard science as, as uh, we kind of come around to it. Um, so the emotional side of things is, is very important, um, and we're just still wrestling with that, and how do we build that into artificial intelligence? Well, what's so fascinating is about the growth of the sensor industry and how many hundred trillions are predicted to be in use in uh, the not too distant future, how that is part of what goes into an artificial intelligence, how there is an interest for developing um, robotic equipment that has the ability to sense human emotion, respond to it, and then adapt to the humans it is serving. That's what's pretty interesting. Yeah, so if you think about um, the smartphones that we have today, um, uh, the, the iPhone, when it came out in 2007, had five sensors in it. Uh, today, the, the average smartphone has around 19 sensors in it. So the number of sensors in smartphones is doubling every four years, roughly. Um, and uh, so it's it's kind of got this exponential growth curve uh, at the early starting point. So uh, in 2020, the sale of smartphones around the world is supposed to reach around $2 billion. So you multiply that times however many sensors are going to be in the phone at that time. you got a big number just there in that one little device. And then you start figuring in all the Internet of Things devices, these billions of Internet of Things devices that are talking to each other. And, um, and suddenly we have this whole conversation uh, network that we have going on that we're we're, we're walking into every day as we, we move around the world. Um, and, and I find that, that quite fascinating. Um, there's this, there's this intersection of, uh, kind of the, the big data plus gamification that is creating all kinds of new kind of business opportunities, new ways of doing things. And, um, and it's uh, it's kind of foggy at the moment. We don't know where it's all going to go, but uh, I, I think that's a ripe territory as an emerging market. Right, right. And podcasting. Prior to to starting um, our conversation on the air, we were talking about podcasting, which is you know a very simple kind of old school fashion being done in a very modern way being underappreciated for many years. And now the word I used and we were giggling is ripening. Right. Um, 
so I, I, my wife and I like to go to a consumer electronics show every year in Las Vegas, and it's, it's a lot of fun. You see all kinds of fascinating new stuff coming out of the woodwork. Um, and I have a friend that goes there every year, and he always says the same thing. He says, he says, yeah, but there was nothing new. Um, <laughs> and and I always used to resent that because I thought, wow, there's so much amazing stuff. But uh, realistically, I, I understand what he, where he's coming from because – um, there's thousands and thousands of television sets all around in the, the displays at uh, Consumer Electronics Show. And every year, the televisions are a, a little brighter, a little bigger, a uh, little uh, crisper. They're, they have uh, downloadable apps. They have uh, bat- better battery life. And so every year, there's an incremental change in that technology. Now, if you compare a television set today to one 15 years ago, you would see vast levels of improvement, but um, it's these iterations that uh, have have each year, while seeming seemingly insignificant on the surface, uh, when you put them all together, it, it creates quite quite an interesting trend line. So, I, I, a lot of times I talk about uh, how the the iterators are often more valuable than the innovators. Because when, when you come up with the technology at the beginning, we have to work our way through the crappy stages before we actually get to something that's really good. And, and so a lot of this old technology that kind of gets revitalized and comes back to life again um, is, is because we've improved it to the point where it's more accessible, it's easier to use, there's, there's lots of different aspects of it that, that just make it more, um, I don't know, universally uh, relevant in the, in the world around us. You know, what you just said was very tweet worthy, you know, to, to, to be very modern here. You know, it, uh, iterators are more valuable than innovators. And had I not thought about it for a moment as you were speaking, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't typically think of it that way because we, we have all this list of heroes on the wall of people that are credited with inventing the light bulb and the car and photography and microwave ovens and everything around us. Um, but if we didn't, if they don't get to a point where uh, the engineering guys want to work on them and just improve them again and again and again, then we'll never get to the state where they actually become very meaningful. Um, a, a good example of that right now is, is virtual reality. I mean, we've had many years of really crappy virtual reality and now we're just getting to the state where, as a friend of mine says, is is virtual is finally becoming reality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, the uh, the last column that I wrote is uh, it asks the question of how much are the virtual reality broadcasting rights going to be worth for NFL football? Um, so I, I try to put that in in context and kind of the world around us. And that's still going to be many years off before the people own enough headsets to make that uh, a viable business model. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, I'd love to talk more about the evolution of virtual reality and the future uh, hope of, of, of what we would find there and what it can do. To learn more, about Thomas Fry, please visit www.davinciinstitute.com. On Twitter, he can be found at Thomas Fry, and that's F R E Y. And on Facebook, that page is Futurist 
speaker. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Here come the tunes. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cyphers-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cyphers-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the future with futurist Thomas Fry. And prior to the break, we were talking about emerging industries. And um, he spoke of the sensor industry topping out or predicted to top out at, at, at uh, 100 trillion sensors by, I think it was uh, 2024, or yes, 2024. We were talking about virtual reality and gamification. And I want to go back, Thomas, to virtual reality and how that is such an um, emerging industry and marketplace and how jobs will relate to this environment. Yeah, we're going to, as, as virtual reality goes off in literally thousands of different directions, um, we, it, it's going to be hard to predict how many uh, jobs get created. But if you think about when when Facebook bought Oculus Rift a couple of years ago, um, there was an instant uptick in the demand for virtual reality designers, producers, coders, and nobody was teaching that Uh and so if you wanted to enter that profession, you were kind of on your own. Um, and certainly nobody was teaching the, the Oculus Rift version of it because it's, it's so new. Now, for a traditional college to actually get into 
training people in one of these areas, um, it's a very slow process because you have to hire the instructors, the instructors create the curriculum, uh, then they, they start recruiting students, and it's like a six- to seven-year timeline at best before we have any talent coming out of the back end. Um, and so there's uh, – at the Da Vinci Institute, we've been looking at lots of different business models uh, around what I call micro-colleges. Um, we're currently training people on how to become computer programmers um, in uh, 11 to 14 weeks, but we want, we want to um, – do, do that in a bigger way where we actually start training people on on some of these new jobs that are, are coming up, like everything like how to fly drones or how to become a crowdfunding expert or um, uh, how, how to design um, videos, movies, whatever, for virtual reality, how to work with Internet of Things devices. So this is wide open territory. It certainly is. And you actually... Um have a school as part of the Da Vinci Institute or a separate entity, uh, DaVinciCoders.com, and you're, and you're teaching this to people. And you, like you said, 11 to 14 weeks? Yes. Um, it's, it's all beginner-based, and so we're taking people that are waitresses and bartenders, and it's a life-changing experience. Uh, they come out the back end getting an entry-level job in the, in the computer industry, and uh, and then the sky's the limit. I mean, they can work their way up as, as far as they want. Uh, the tech world uh, really doesn't care much about the credentials that you have going in. They only care about whether or not you can do the job, which I find um, uh, refreshing. And, uh, as, and so that's opened the door for lots of new things because uh, invariably all these new technologies that are coming out are, are not going to have uh, uh, credentialed people entering those uh, those professions, and and the professions themselves are going to be changing so quickly that um, a lot of in a lot of cases it's not even going to make any sense. And I think this attributes uh, in part to the success of organizations like General Assembly. I mean, they are responding to this need of a rapidly evolving future. I mean, very very quickly. I mean, it seems like tomorrow is here faster than it was yesterday. Yeah. One of the columns I wrote recently was, uh, will, will co-working replace colleges? Um, and it, it seemed like such a, an off-the-wall concept. But, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, if, you're, if you're working on a job and you're, you run into a problem that's hard to solve, uh, you don't go back into textbooks. It's much easier if you can just lean over to the person next to you and say, have you run into this and do you have an answer for something like this? And so it's it's a form of group learning and you learn from each other as you go. Um, the water cooler conversations are uh, uh, oftentimes uh, more valuable than sitting through some, some lengthy lecture. Um, so that... Uh, it's it's I love stirring the pot a little bit as as we uh, think through some of the options, but uh, and I, I'm certainly not the only one that's doing that. No, you're you're not the only one, but you're doing a very good job of being loud about it, and I appreciate that. You know, because it, it, making your voice heard affects and 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 touches others um, to consider things that they might not necessarily have done so in the past. So this is this is great work. I want to um, touch upon the future of education because you began uh, talking about this about co working replacing college, and the, and how it ties back to the virtual virtual world. I mean, one can obtain a PhD online now. Right, right. 
Um, so one of the things we started offering is that um, uh, we, we partnered with a company called Ed, Edivate in uh, Atlanta. We're, uh, we're offering micro degrees for somebody who has a thousand hours worth of learning. And, um, and so uh, a couple of our coder classes are the equivalent of a thousand hours learning. And so they, they receive a micro degree as a result of that. Now, micro degrees are alternative form of credentialing. Um, they have no value whatsoever except in the eyes of the people that, that see it. And once enough people actually gravitate towards offering micro degrees and uh, it becomes universally known in the marketplace, then they, the, the value of, of that alternative credentialing process then will, will go up. Um, so we're just uh, test, testing the waters there a little bit. Um, but that that type of thing, I think, is is going to be very valuable in the future because I think um, uh, college courses are just one way of learning things. I mean, we have when the four year degree first came about back, it was an American invention back in the eighteen hundreds. It had kind of a fuzzy beginning, but it made sense that we structure college learning around this breadth of knowledge. Uh, coupled with this core discipline, and so half of the learning was this breadth of knowledge, and you learn humanities and and uh, things that you normally not learn. And back in the 1800s, uh, information was scarce. It was hard to come by this type of, of information. And today, though, it's, it's a little different because the average person is in the U.S. is consuming information 11.8 hours a day, and... Um, and, and so a lot of this ambient information that we're consuming, and yes, a lot of it is sitcoms on television and things that we're listening to on the radio, but in the middle of it are some of the gems that we're actually, uh, we're actually far more educated today than anybody ever in the 1800s ever was. Um, so that breadth of knowledge maybe not won't make sense in the future. So... Um, so is it possible to just focus in on the core stuff that we need to learn? And, uh, and, and so, again, these are things that I'm asking a lot of questions, and we don't, we don't know all the answers yet, but uh, I think we need to test the waters on something new. I, one of the predictions that I've made is that because of the intersection of big data and gamification, that the most valuable company by 2030 is going to be an education company um, – uh, that we haven't heard of yet. Um, and I, I think that that's the largest opportunity on the Internet today. Is, it, is this company established? I mean, should we be jotting the name down for stock tips? Um, yeah, it's it's a company that we haven't heard of yet. Ah. Um, that it hasn't been created yet. Oh, it hasn't been created yet to be created. Its future is is not yet here. Yeah. Um, let, let me explain a little bit more about this rapid scalability. Um, it took McDonald's 23 years to reach a billion hamburgers. Uh, it took Facebook eight and a half years to get uh, a billion users. It took um, uh, Uber five and a half years to reach a billion rides. And Uber has a competitor in China called Didi Kawadi that took a little less than 11 months to reach a billion rides in China. Um, so the, uh, but that's, that's not the limit yet. Um, Sai, the uh, the Korean singer that sang Gangnam Style, he was the first person on YouTube to reach a billion downloads on YouTube. It took him 160 days. And today there are um, 
uh, actually 21 YouTube stars that have have breached the the billion download level. And the fastest one is Adele, who's done it in 87 days. Um, so in the future, we're, we're going to have competitors that come out of the woodwork in, in less than a week and just blow up into a huge company. That is fascinating. And uh, let's... Uh, Fold in where we started about human emotion and the hopefulness for the future. You know, some some people out there, and you see a lot right now in the media, bashing the political system and the future of America. I'm pretty hopeful. You know, I'm like a, the residential optimist around here. So uh, how does our emotional life look through the eyes of a futurist? Yeah, uh, this, this whole idea of why do we need fallible humans um, – See, it, it, our economy works well because we need each other. We're, we're we're all defective humans, so we need we have to rely on other people for the things that we don't have. And because we're dependent on everybody else, that's what creates our economy. Um, there is there is some school of thought in that artificial intelligence is going to take us in the direction where we're all going to be self sufficient. We don't need each other, and so uh, I think. Um, then, then we we ruin our economy by doing that. So, um, so artificial intelligence can die because of perfection, or can die because of imperfection. But uh, so I, I find that a fascinating argument. Yeah, I, I I agree. We've run out of time, and I want to thank you for joining us today. To learn more about the work of futurist Thomas Fry, please visit his websites. I'm going to give you two. One is the www.davinciinstitute.com. And for anyone who might be interested in learning how to write code, www.davincicoders.com. The Twitter handle to reach Thomas is at Thomas Fry, and that's F-R-E-Y. And on Facebook, the page is Futurist Speaker. Here are a few words and thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host, wishing you, along with my guests today, Thomas Fry and Stephen Seiden, kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX the public radio exchange go out and make it a great one thanks for joining us on harvesting happiness talk radio with lisa cypress cayman join us each and every wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on itunes and soundcloud to learn more about lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services please visit harvestinghappiness.com spread more joy by liking us on facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.